Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Paddock Chat, a West Midlands Group original podcast created to keep local growers in the loop without having to leave the paddock. I'm Erin O'Brien and I'm the Beef Industry Development Officer at the West Midlands Group. In today's episode, NAC NRM's Annabelle Garrett speaks to local farmer Pip Bain. They discuss Pip's experience in the agricultural industry as well as what it means to farm sustainably. They also discuss cell grazing and the benefits that pasture management can have on feed availability for livestock. This discussion ties in with the BeefLinks backgrounding project, which is funded by MLA and UWA and is working to develop the northern beef cattle supply chain through increasing pasture availability and management. This conversation was recorded in mid-2021. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and may not be wholly appropriate for your purposes or situation. We recommend that you seek appropriate professional advice before implementing actions based off the information provided by this podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to a slightly different episode of Paddock Chat. My name's Annabelle Garrett and I'm a Regional Agriculture Landcare Facilitator at NACNRM. In this episode, I had the pleasure of catching up with friend and fellow female farmer Pip Bain to discuss some of her experiences in the agricultural industry, including producing grass-fed beef, sustainability and utilising holistic management practices. Okay, so Pip, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, are you? <laughs> hi, I'm Pete Bain and I'm a farmer from Walkaway. So what do you farm in Walkaway? We are mainly beef production. We also have a few contracting businesses, both annual and perennial seeding. We run about 150 Charolais cross Brahmin cows, which we use for breeding, as well as an intensive trading. So we buy in trade cattle from pastoral stations, fatten them and sell them on. Yeah, awesome. So why did you opt for a career in agriculture? What's led you to to this role? Well, I was kind of born into it. My parents raised me on a station in the Gascoigne and yeah, I'm afraid once it's in your blood and it's in my heritage and it's, um, I didn't really get a choice. (laughs) Red dirt in your veins, hey? Pretty much, yes. So you've been involved in the ag industry your entire life. What, I guess, what's your one of your favourite memories or what's the highlight of your career in the ag, in the ag industry? Oh, Christ, how long have you got? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess favourite memories would just have to be growing up in that pastoral scene. Life was pretty good for me as a kid, lots of freedom. Then ag school, I uh, went to Morrowa and had a ball there. Straight onto the stations as a teenager, cut my teeth in the Pilbara and the Gascoigne and I've yeah been really, really lucky. I've travelled Australia, working in ag the whole way around and also in America. So I was very blessed. So what were you doing in America, Pip? So I got an opportunity to work on a couple of ranches in California and Wyoming as well as a couple of horse ranches in Texas, which was just... Next level, amazing. So, very cool. So, the I'm assuming the agriculture industry over there is very different to here, or it's yes the the culture yes is very different. The practices, um, especially when I was up in North Dakota, I found a lot of the practices are quite similar. A lot more intensive. Obviously, they've got the higher rainfall and different climate, but there's a lot to be learned. I think, from American agriculture. Yeah, okay. So, and do you think that goes both ways? Or do you think we're maybe slightly... 
I think with the conditions that America are going through right now, with the massive drought in California, I think us Aussies really could give them a run for their money. Okay. <laughs> but in saying that, it's it's hard to say when we have such different climates and government support as well. Yeah, for sure. So you've got a pretty strong link and crossover between the pastoral and the broad acre. Obviously, now that you're um, you're farming in in Ellendale, which one's your favourite? Do you have a? Would you choose? What would you What would you go for? Sorry, Dad, <laughs> but pastoral all the way. I, I there's just something about the lifestyle. There's something about the work ethic and oh, just everything. Yeah, it's it's a lifestyle, not a living. But it's probably why it took me 12 years to come home because it was yeah, it was really hard to give up that lifestyle. <laughs> so, Pip, what does sustainable agriculture mean to you? Sustainable agriculture means everything to me. What is the point of doing something if it's not going to last? This is our planet, and we are just reaping it of everything that's that it's worth um, and it's time to start looking after it and it's not just the planet that we've got to start looking after but also our kids are getting more and more unhealthy because of the food they're eating is grown for profit and not nutrition and that goes for organics as well Um, organic food is getting less and less nutritious and it's time that we start actually going back to the root of the problem pardon the pun and looking at our soils because that's where health really comes from. Yeah, certainly. Um, I'm I'm a big advocate for soil health, and I know that you and um, and your dad actually are as well. Might loop back around to that in a minute, but I guess one thing I did want to ask was this buzz term. I guess we could call it that of regenerative agriculture. Do you see a difference between practicing sustainable agriculture and regenerative? Yeah, so definitely regenerative is the new organic. And I, I mean, I, I will admit I put regenerative and sustainable in the same bracket. Regenerative, like I went saying about sustainable agriculture, it's about improving your soil health. It's about improving your plant health and therefore your animal or produce. And regenerative, there's a lot of projects in place and the day that we farmers get rewarded for our regenerative products, the better because a lot of work that goes into it. And uh, and the best thing about it is that end of the day, there is a testable, proven product that in the long term is going to be better for our future generations and for our health. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. So I guess on that, what do you think their challenges or the main barriers might be for people adopting these practices and, and getting getting involved in this? I'm not going to lie. It's really hard. We have been at this for 20 years and we are only just starting to plateau out now and feel like we have half an idea of what we're doing. We've had more failures than successes for sure and especially in these sandy soils that are really lacking organic matter all you can do I mean for anyone who wants to get involved in regen ag do your research read your books I'm sure I can suggest a few there's um, holistic management by Alan Savory and for the love of soil by Nicole Masters do yourself a favor buy yourself a Christmas present go read them get inspired and start and in the long run it's all about management and it does get easier yeah thank you that's a that's a good point to add that it does get easier i'm sure that's something that people need need to hear yeah so 
I guess going back to the the soil health that you mentioned earlier and, and that being a bit of a passion for you. So I know that you and um, on your family property, you guys have planted out almost your entire farm into year-round ground cover. Mm. Is that right? Yep, yep. So we are now, as of 2018, 100% under perennials. What does that mean for your soil? Have you noticed any changes in in what's happening on your farm from before it was completely oh we can actually make you know we can actually run a cow now so a little bit of background we moved to the property in 2002 it was a good season when we bought it and then I think we flew straight into the 06 drought I don't know if you remember that but I do (laughs) and we were running a ridiculous amount of cattle and we didn't have much grass in the ground Uh, it all we didn't have many fences it was a real pastoral show. <laughs> Since then, yeah, we've planted the whole place into perennials. We've split all our paddocks up into 25 hectare cells, as they're called. So in all, we've got a nearly 60 paddock rotation now that we move the cattle around depending on seasons. Yeah, they're all subtropical perennial grasses. So we're talking Panics, Rhodes, Kaikuyu, Cooch. We are playing around with sorghums, millets, ceterias, vetch, clovers, you name it. We're throwing it in there, not to mention also planting in with the perennials, annuals. So wheat, barley, canola, lupins, anything we can get our hands on, we throw it in there and we will either harvest that and whack in a silo for feed grain or we send it to CVH. We, we, every now and then we gave a professional and we actually <laughs> harvest a crop um, or we feed it off. And we did a couple of trials a few years ago and found out that we were more profitable feeding off the crops than we were harvesting them. So it was a really, really interesting little experiment. Yeah, definitely. And so that grain going in silos, is that going for grain-fed cows? We don't call them grain-fed because it's more of a supplement So the cattle are still out in the paddock. They've still got full access to the perennials and we've just got slow release feeders in the paddock that they can munch on as as they wish because at the end of the day, we've still got to make a profit. Yeah, we are about weight gains, but we're also about sustainable weight gains and what is best for the cow and their gut health. So that, once again, all comes back to your soil health. And nutrition and protein and what what they're actually intaking. Yeah, yeah, and we feed licks and all that sort of stuff too, so... You've recently started supplying grass-fed cattle to a local butcher. We have, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? We have been in cohorts backwards and forwards with them for a while. We did a couple of trials to make sure that it would work and it's now going to get gangbusters. Prices are high and about time too because cattle farmers have really been copping the blunt end of the stick for a long time when it comes to cattle prices it's really good to see prices go up and it's really good to see local businesses be able to compete with those prices is what I'm getting at we send in between four and six head every week the the crew in a McDavy they just they're loving our cattle and actually hot off the press our beef has just been sent north as well so we're talking you know yeah Denim, Shark Bay, we'll see where we go. That's, but it's it's really cool. That's awesome. They're well-travelled cows then. Well, yeah, well, they were bred and born and bred up there. So it's yeah. kind of they've done a bit of a full circle. Yeah. They've come from the Pilbara, Gascoigne region, grown out down with us. I love it more than anything, the fact that it is literally paddock to plate. It's less than 20 kilometres to the abattoir and then, once again, less than 20 kilometres in, back into town. You can't get any fresher than that. No, definitely not. And so grass-fed is obviously a little bit different to what we would see in plastic wrap 
in the grocery store or our regular grocery stores. Yeah. Do you have any anything to add to that or like what what, what difference do you see? I know you pro- oh. um, produce your own meat. So. Yeah. So the difference between grass-fed and grain-fed, it, I think it all comes back to the health of the animal. Cows are supposed to eat grass. Their stomachs are not developed enough to eat grain or live off purely, purely grain. off grain. So not only is the cow happier because they're healthier on the grass or we have been a part of a few trials where we've literally put a grass-fed steak next to a grain-fed steak and the taste the the fat the juices everything out of the grass-fed just yeah was so much better than the grain-fed definitely I'm, I'm sure a lot of of people listening to this and a lot of producers themselves will will definitely vouch for that that it's always always better that when it comes straight out of your oh, paddock yeah and you can you can literally taste the the moistness of the grass yeah, pretty good <laughs> looking at grass fed and grazing management so that i know that you said you do a bit of cell grazing is that the main grazing management technique that you guys are using yeah definitely high intensive in a good year we'll have up to 800 head of traders as we call them in these 25 hectare paddocks and we can be moving anywhere between 24 hours three days or a week once again all comes back to your season if you're having a slow growing season or a fast growing season yeah it's it's constant monitoring and management but yeah we're always moving our cattle around we don't let them sit in the paddock too long purely so that they don't overgraze the mistake a lot of people make when they hear the word overgraze is they look at the paddock as a whole and they go, oh, my paddock's not overgrazed. Look, there's still plenty of grass, but they're not looking at the grass or the feed. It's always usually close to your trough, but look at your individual plants. If they are hammering that one plant and they just keep on eating those new shoots, you are overgrazing that plant. It's not a matter of being able to look across your paddock and go, yes, I've got plenty of feed left. You've got to look at your individual plants. And if they're going to overgraze a plant, you need to move them to another paddock so that you can let that plant regrow, rejuvenate, and then you can bring them back. So you recommend getting out there, getting your oh yeah, your get down and dirty, yeah, rather <laughs> yep. than yep. out of the ute window. Yep, hands down, bum up. You got to be looking down at your feet a lot. By all means, you got to look up and and have an overall look. But what's the point of having the grasses if you're going to kill them off one by one? Yeah, definitely. So Pip, you would be moving those cows quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you're, you're, you're working on a holistic management approach and I'm assuming you're trying low, low stress stock handling. Don't call it low stress. Yeah. I did a advanced livestock management school back when I was about 18. Yep. Pressure and relief. And it's, I use it for everything. I use it for dogs, horses, cows, kids, parents, the lot. Pressure and relief. <laughs> To look at it, it's not low stress. At the end of the day, you are ending up with a a much better educated beast that is able to handle stress a lot better than an animal that has had nothing at all. And so that's why I'm pressure, pressure, pressure. And then once that animal does or moves in the direction I want to, back it off and, and they learn, they honestly do learn to deal with situations, just like a kid would, just like a dog or a horse would. And it's, you know, I watch... When I'm breaking in my wieners, per se, I've got a sausage dog. And uh, anyone who knows me and Lacey knows that Lacey likes to get out and help me with the cattle work. Lacey is about a foot long and a half a foot tall, and so she barks a lot. And Lacey gets in the yards and she'll bark, and the wieners just blow. They go everywhere. It's a it's an absolute man man show. Also hilarious. Because <laughs> yeah, hilarious for everyone else. Looking tiny, <laughs> tiny, tiny creature. 
Yeah, but I mean, they do. They, they react because they don't know any better. By the end of wiener breaking, Lacey is nonstop barking because it's the only way to get the little bastards to move. <laughs> and I, I have certainly seen and I've been around your cattle a fair bit and I know that they're definitely not stressed animals like no, yeah, yeah, no. Not, not when you're dealing with cows like sally and betty no, they're, they're, <laughs> they're very spoiled so you mentioned annual and perennial seeding when i asked you what you guys are up to before can you expand on that a little bit pip yeah so um obviously to make it sort of all worth it we ventured out and started doing contract perennial seeding it's not something that a lot of people have sort of expertise themselves in we started perennial seeding back in the late 90s we had a block at Karnama where we experimented and we have learned a lot in the last 20 years to the point where I could almost say we've perfected it my dad uh, has done an incredible job at building the business to a point where we can now do up to 15,000 hectares a year. We plant perennials between Northam and Bullsbrook and out, yeah, and out east as well. Uh, we have a Facebook page, Greengrass Perennials. So if you want to find out more information, jump over there and have a squeeze and um, hopefully we can get him on the podcast later and he will give you some really good insights into what we're doing. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. So back to, I guess, perennials, what changes have you seen on your property? I mean, the fact that it's just a lot greener (laughs) all the time. Hence the name. Yeah, green grass perennials. You see the benefits in a dry season over a wet season. So a year like this, everyone's place looks good. Think back to the summer of 2018, 2019. I think we got our last rain in August and it didn't rain again till late April. It was a very, very dry couple of months. I vividly remember while our neighbours' paddocks were blowing away, we still had living plants holding the soil together, um, not to mention still having feed for our cows. We were still running up to 800 head of cattle, which wasn't too many. We, we were still handling those numbers quite well. So as far as the profit goes, we, we couldn't do it without the perennials. The soil health is purely an added bonus. Carbon retention, microbiological bacteria, activity and where I love seeing the benefits even to this day is I love monitoring certain areas of the farm that up until now have been pretty non-productive borderline bare patches and we are now starting to see a lot of regeneration in those areas. You mentioned earlier that you completed a holistic management course. What is that all about? So holistic management was brainchild of a man called Alan Savory. It was sort of founded in South Africa back in the 1970s. And it is pretty much a management strategy to boost profit and productivity. What does the course involve and what do you, what, what did you come away with? So the course we did was an eight day course spread over four months. So dad and I traveled down to Perth for two days every month and did the course. It covers everything. We're talking infrastructure, animal husbandry, finances, decision-making, farm plans, everything that you should know or need to know going into agriculture in general, honestly. So you would recommend? Definitely. 
Yeah, definitely. The holistic management course isn't the only way to get into it. There's also grazing for profit courses and you can do a holistic management intensive course, which is straight eight days. It gives you the how-tos step-by-step on what you need to do to benefit your business. What's your favorite challenge about being a farmer? My favorite challenge about being a farmer is the fact that there's always something new. There's always new technology. There's always new ideas. There's new science behind said new ideas. And I think I just love seeing change and improvement in the ag industry, especially in WA. I feel like sometimes we're a little bit behind the Eastern States and yeah, especially in what we're doing on our farm, um, there's always room for improvement. Our story is going to be never ending because we're always going to be developing and finding new and better ways to um, do what we do better. And that is such a such an important perspective to have and and way to way to work, especially in this industry. So that being said, what is your least favorite challenge about being a farmer? Least favorite uh, would have to oh, it doesn't even count, but it's the location and Annabelle. <laughs> You being my mighty old neighbour would know all about our glorious wind. If it's not sunny and windy, it's rainy and windy. And if it's not windy, it's raining. It's constant. But I don't know where else I would rather be some days because, I mean, I definitely can't imagine a life not being an egg. And I'm so, so lucky to be one of these kids that have grown up in ag. I'm being given this awesome opportunity to take over the family farm. Yeah, where else would you rather be? That's awesome. Yeah, no, very true. And, yeah, I guess that being said, weather and climate are probably a lot of people's biggest challenge in this industry. So Yes. (laughs) So I guess moving on to that, we you know, you've said a little bit about wind and renewable energy, I guess. So can you, do you want to talk to me a little bit about sustainable ag and what it maybe means to you? Yeah. So sustainable ag, I feel that everyone in agriculture should adopt sustainability one way or another. What is the point of doing something if it's not sustainable? We are purely reaping our planet. And what is, it's going to have nothing left to give us. So what is the point of, you know, raising kids to take on these farms if there's going to be nothing left of it? And when I say nothing left of it, literally blown away. It's not just the soil, but also our food. It doesn't matter whether you're buying organic or not. Our food is getting less and less nutritious. That's once again, getting passed on to our future generations. So our future generations are getting unhealthier and healthier. None of this is sustainable. So you've mentioned that you have, I guess, a long history and you've been involved in ag for a long time. And I know that you are from a family of women that are highly involved in the industry. Do you want to talk, I guess, a little bit about women in ag? Yeah. So like you said, I I have been surrounded by women in ag, my my mum, my auntie, my sister, everyone has been in agriculture. I don't think it's an issue that needs to be highlighted. It needs It's an issue that needs to be accepted. At the end of the day, we're all here to do a job and to produce the best products as possible. We definitely have our place as women in the industry. It's where we want to be. Um, 
I'm proud to be an ag and and when I come to think of it, three people out of the five most inspiring people in agriculture are women. So um, I'm talking soil scientists, I'm talking farmers, family, everything. So I definitely think that any woman who wants to get into ag, don't be scared. I think that especially with our current employment situation, now is the best time to get into agriculture. There's so many doors that can be opened in the industry and there's there's so much room for improvement. And actually a quote that was said to me the other day, they said, if you ever hand your resume into a, a farmer and he says, I don't want a woman, he's not worth working for anyway. So there's, like I said, there's so many opportunities in agriculture at the moment and go for it. Thank you so much. That brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you very much to Annabelle and Pip for being so generous with your time and knowledge today. The best way to receive our updates and stay in the loop with the latest in local research and results is by becoming a West Midlands Group member. Our members are an essential part of why we do what we do and we pride ourselves in ensuring members like you receive relevant, innovative information. You'll save hours of your valuable time with easy access to the most relevant and up-to-date information you really need. Our membership gets you early access to our workshops, free or discounted entry for up to three farm business members to our major events, exclusive access to our member-only publications like our technical newsletter, the WMG Quarterly. For more info, visit our website where you can sign up anytime. I'd like to thank our sponsors and members, without whom this would not be possible. See you next time for some more Paddock Chat. Local knowledge from a paddock near you.